and Michael, we are a couple weeks removed from the championship, but is the party still going? Yeah, I'm trying to uh, wind down on the, on the party. It's still kind of <laughs> going, though. Like, yeah. I think uh, for my teammates, all summer, you know what I mean? <laughs> all summer and, like, maybe a little after. Like, when you win, you get to celebrate for as long as you want, I feel like. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and you go so long into the playoffs, your offseason's shorter, so it's definitely a balance between, like, taking time off then get back to work because we don't have as much time, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I love talking to the new champions at Summer League because I feel like you're walking around <sighs> this time. People are maybe looking at you a little differently, treating you a little differently. Do you feel that way? Yeah, no, it's, it's cool. Like, everywhere you go, uh, like, people all walks of life, you know what I mean? They tune into the, the playoffs and especially the finals. So, uh, it's, what's up, champ? Congrats, champ. And they just uh, show, show the respect to other players um, so many guys want a ring, you know, that's what they chase their whole career. So you definitely feel that walking around. For sure. Yeah. I mean, there's the obvious, you know, stamp of the fact that if you win the ring, you're the best team. But what stamp does winning a ring put on a player individually? Yeah, I just think um, like it, it shows you're a winner um, to actually contribute on a championship team. You, you definitely have to be selfless because in the playoffs, you can ask anyone who's played in the playoffs there will be games where you have it going. There will be games you don't have it going. Um, you got to find a way to contribute when it's not your night. So we had a team full of guys like that. It really helped uh, helped our run and uh, eventually helped us become champions. Now, all season, y'all were very good. All season, I think everyone believes you all were the best team. But you weren't being picked to win the championship. Why do you think that is? That's a good question. I mean, we were number one in the West uh, most of the year. But there's so many good teams. Like, I, I see why people thought the Bucks were going to win. I see why people thought the Celtics, you know, when KD went to the Suns. I see why people picked them. And, you know, you got the Warriors. Um, but we were pretty consistent all year. And then when it came playoff time and you're playing your main guys, like, 40 minutes, I just felt like we had the best team all around. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, do you feel like maybe we overcomplicate who's going to win the championship. Does that make sense? Because that's the conversation I've kind of been having. Because if you were watching the Nuggets all year, it was very clear that y'all were the most complete and the best and had one of the best, if not the best player in the league. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about overcomplicate because winning a championship in and of itself, there's so many factors that, that play into who wins. Like, say Kawhi didn't get hurt in the playoffs. Paul George didn't get hurt. Do they lose to the Suns? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Then we play the Clippers. How would that have gone? You know, Boston had beat the Heat game seven. Then we would have played Boston. How would the series against them, how would that have gone? So there's so many factors. Um, you know, a little bit of luck has to be on your side. Um, you know, as far as like injuries, like there's been a few years mm-hmm. where me and Jamal, well, a couple years where we weren't all the way healthy at playoff time. So a lot of it is just guys staying healthy going into the playoffs. Um and we were lucky to pr- be pretty healthy all year. Yeah. Because, yeah, you're right. Like, winning that trophy, it's luck, it's situation, it's health, it's camaraderie. It's all of these things that kind of have to line up for it to work. And every player I know that wins a championship, they say it was so much harder than they ever would have thought. It because is. it's literally like it's two more extra months, but it's two months of the most competitive, high-intense basketball mm-hmm. you've ever played in your life. So, like, the recovery the flying back and forth, just one game in the playoffs feels like three regular season games in terms of like a toll on your body, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mentally, 
physically. Um, you know, the fans, just the pressure of the moment, all that's so much amplified in the playoffs. And then it's going too much longer into when everyone else in the league is able to go on vacation, you know, mm-hmm. be with their family and their friends. And we're having to be more locked in than we were all year. So I think that's yeah. a hard part of it. So the not being picked, did you or the team ever take it personally? I think we we got a, uh, a team full of guys that don't really feed too much into social media or kind of mm-hmm. like, like I think a lot of us were really oblivious to it. You know, coach would bring it up sometimes. Um, and it definitely was a driving factor for us, but not not too much because mm-hmm. we just know how stuff works. You know, when a star player gets traded, like KD did to the Suns, you know, people want to talk about that. You know, you got the Lakers, you got Boston who made it to the uh, the finals the year before. So we don't really take it as disrespect. We know we're a smaller market team, mm-hmm. uh, but we definitely knew that we had the pieces uh, to do it for sure. Yeah. Well, y'all are the winners. Um, and I love that right after y'all won, there's talk of <laughs> dynasty. There's talk of we're going to go get more. Yeah. What makes this Nuggets team equipped to win multiple championships? Yeah, well, I kind of was honestly a little like uh, just not, I wouldn't say the word is annoyed, but a little frustrated that as soon as you win a championship, mm-hmm. the whole talk is winning another one instead of like, mm-hmm sitting back realizing okay this is the first one we the city has ever won uh we may never have this opportunity again who knows like guys got traded uh big pieces to our team so like i felt like you just needed to soak it in so that's what i was trying to do mm-hmm. um but it, it's crazy how as soon as you win when the talk is multiple <laughs> championships i think with the core that we have is definitely possible but uh yeah i haven't even gone into that mode of of worrying about that yet, you know yeah, what I mean? for sure. What do you think that says just about, A, how we view sports, but also how it's it's kind of difficult for people to live in the moment of right now because the thing is, okay, well, what are you going to do for me next? Yeah, like, you see it all the time in media. First of all, like, the, the story is only hot for two or three days. So when we won a championship, it was big. That's what everyone was kind of talking about for two or three days. But now... People got to talk about the next season, the trades going on, all this stuff. So uh, I think just life is so fast. Sometimes we don't get a chance to, like, appreciate the moments, and especially, like, the moments like a championship. Um, but I feel like part of that is 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 good. You know, we're always looking forward to the future and things like that. But sometimes I think uh, people people got to slow down and appreciate the moment. Um, like, even Nuggets fans, you know, as soon as we win a championship, <laughs> you see the comments of just, like, doing it again or who are we trading how do we make our team better it's like we just brought the first championship to to the city ever so it's a balance but you definitely see it yeah well Michael Malone got everybody fired up he's like all right, (laughs) we have another one on the way I'm like let's do it Michael Malone I love it Um, of course you're excited for every single teammate that you have when you win but which player were you just most excited for to see them get that accomplishment under their belt I think uh I think that the vets, like Ish, um, Jeff, DJ, just because, you know, Ish and DJ weren't playing a whole lot in the playoffs, but they were the ones, if we're going to talk about being locked in, they were the ones in the group chat reminding everyone be locked in all playoffs. Um, Jeff, you know, same thing. He played a, li- he played a little more, but they're, they're a little older. Who knows how many opportunities they'll have. And they just kept reminding us how special this is, like, um, they've been in the league for 15 plus years and it's the first time they've 
won a championship or even got close to winning a championship. So I think uh, I was really excited for those three guys. Um, really excited for Jamal as well. You know, we were in the in the rehab room together, rehabbing together with everyone. Yeah. For sure. So you mentioned, you know, Ish, like being one of the guys that keeps people locked in in the group chat. What's your role in the group chat? Uh, <laughs> my role in the group chat... I just react to what they say. I don't really start too many conversations, <laughs> but we got such a funny group. Like, if dudes are, are, are going back and forth or whatever, whatever it is, I just, I just throw my little reactions in there, my little yeah. like, instigations, things like that. <laughs> so who's like the funny joke guy in it's the group DJ, chat? It sure. is DJ. Okay. Yeah, he's definitely the most active in the group chat. And, uh, he's always, he's always throwing the little memes in there, uh, pulling up throwback pictures of all of us and putting them in the group chat. <laughs> Yeah, DJ's funny. Is Jokic an emoji guy? Honestly, I feel like Joker came out of his shell a little bit. Like, you know, having those guys like DJ and Jeff and those older guys who who are so fun to be around and things like that kind of brought Joker a little bit out of his shell this year. So he's been in way more active in the group chat. You know what I mean? Even yeah. since going back to Serbia in years past, like when he would go back home, you didn't hear from Joker until the training camp. Mm -hmm. But um, we really uh, built a brotherhood with this team. So everyone's pretty active in the chat. I love that. Is he updating you on the horses? Are they winning? What's going on? <laughs> I don't even know. I don't know if they're winning, but I know he, I saw, we we saw some pictures of him uh, back home. We know he's enjoying it. Yeah. So. Good. Love to hear that. We, of course, know just how good Jokic is, but being his teammate, you're viewing it completely differently. Yeah. What was that moment that we didn't see that you knew, okay, this guy is unreal? I think it probably was, well, I've told this story before, but like when I first got drafted to Denver um, and I saw him in training camp, like I thought Mason Plumley was better than him. You know what I mean? Like they were going back before they were matching up. I was like, wait, why does, why does Joker start over Mason? Because Joker was kind of coasting a little bit. I'm like, this dude's fat, this dude. But then like they just told me like, no, wait till you see him playing the games. He could score 50 every game if he wanted to. So fast forward season comes along and like I saw it uh straight up I saw I saw how good he was he had an amazing year but then the moment I realized how special he was was every year after that it was like he was doing even more until mm. he was MVP and then even the year after he won MVP it was like he had an even better year and then you know even even this year some would say he had his best year yet so it was just like he already was MVP and he still was growing from there and not letting uh not letting that you know, make him lazy or anything like that. And it just showed his discipline, his dedication. Mm -hmm. That's when I really realized how special he was. Yeah, you said, oh, that's why he's starting over Mason. <laughs> Literally, no disrespect to Mason. Mason's no, yeah, like, no, no, I, Mason I is catching Mason. a <laughs> I love, I love playing with Mason. Yeah. He's one of the best teammates ever. Yeah. Uh, same agency. That's my guy right there. But yeah, <laughs> yeah Joker's obviously special. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. It's like every year he would add something new. Every year he would get better. So now I say, okay, well, Next season, what does that look like for Jokic? Yeah, I think he um, he enjoys just having guys around that can also uh, take some of. Take, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to score forty game, even though I, I, gen, I genuinely think he probably could. But mm -hmm. I just think having guys around that are also capable. Um, you know, he likes that, so he'll probably he'll probably just do do what he did this year, be super consistent, not really have too many bad games. Mm -hmm. um, if he's not scoring thirty, he's probably gonna have 16 assists, and then we got a system in place um, that really fits all of our games as well. Mm -hmm. 
Side note, but I hear your head coach is like very specific about being called Michael and not Mike. Is that true? He's like, my name is Michael Malone. Does he? Yeah. I don't know. I, I just call him coach. I don't even call him. Uh, <laughs> You're like, I wouldn't know. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't know, he, I didn't know that. But uh, yeah. now that I think about it, no one really calls him Mike Malone. It's, it's usually Michael. Yeah, yeah. He's like, my name is Mike. Which I love that, you know, because your yeah. name is your name and you want to be called exactly that. Exactly. Um, and I really like the bond that you all have. You all had a great moment after you won where he came up to you and spoke to you and said, listen, I don't want to hear you talking about missing shots. You helped us win a championship. Yeah. Did you need to hear that in that moment? Uh, not really, because we just won a championship, so I wasn't really uh, too worried about missing a lot of shots, especially just because that last game uh, went a little bit better for me. But yeah, I mean, in the playoffs, like, uh, it's not really about you at that point. You know, in the regular season, guys maybe wanting to get their average or get their stats or be an all-star, this or that. In the playoffs, all that really goes out the window, so... Mm. From the outside, people may uh, get on you if you have a bad game or whatever. But on the inside, it's really just like, okay, what can I do to help us win? Yeah. So that was my mindset. And then to me, when it comes to shooting, like shooting two of seven or three of eight or one of six, to me, that's not really a bad shooting night. Like we all had our our opportunities and things like that. But missing five shots in the NBA game or, or going, you know, one for six. To me, that's not a bad shooting night. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, in my head, it was like, dang, I'm shooting terrible. I was definitely missing more shots than I wanted to, but I was never really like down on myself like that. Mm, so do you feel like, because I know you're saying you weren't on social media and things like that as much or watching TV as much, but do you feel like it was maybe a bit more overblown for other people because that was such a storyline? But you were like, my head's on straight. I'm going to impact the game in different ways. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I'm I'm the hardest on myself more than anyone could be hard on me. So, yeah, you want to make all your shots. Um, but you know, overall in the playoffs, I didn't shoot didn't shoot terrible in the finals. My three ball wasn't falling, so I was trying to get double digit rebounds, things like that. Um, and at the end of the day, we won a championship. So if we win a championship with guys not playing their best, yeah. it's like it's like okay, we're good. You know what I mean? So yeah, uh, I definitely I'm not gonna sit here and say I wasn't like mad. I wasn't getting up extra shots after the game, things like that. Mm-hmm. But we were winning, and we were winning most of our games. I think we lost three or four games in the playoffs. So Which when is you crazy, win, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, when you win, you, you can't be too mad. Yeah. Okay, At right after the season, I think you called your shot broken and said you'd fix it in the offseason. Has it been fixed? <sighs> well, <laughs> we're, what, four <laughs> weeks since? Three or four weeks? Mm-hmm. So I'm still in the mode of... Soaking it all up, uh, traveling yeah. a little bit, but I think I'm leaving Vegas tomorrow and then it's back to getting right. I definitely made a couple of tweaks already from the times I've been in the gym, mm-hmm. but no, my shot's never broken. <laughs> uh, You're like, that's kind of the thing I said. I got you. Yeah. Um, you do have one of the prettiest shots in the league, though. So tell me three other guys that you think have very pretty shots. Rank rank your favorites. Uh, I think I think Clay Thompson's shot is like picture perfect, like balance, you know, elbow straight. Um, I love the way uh, I like obviously how Steph shoots. We work out quite a bit together, and I just think his range. I, I admire shooting because there's two different ways guys shoot. You know, some guys shoot a push shot, and they can extend their range back, and you know that's the shooters like 
Trey Young or, or Damian Lillard or Steph. And then there's like jump shooters who shoot kind of like me with the mm-hmm. with the higher release point, like me, KD, uh, Paul George, Jason Tatum has a high release. Um, so I admire shooting from like different different aspects of it. And then there's like different perks to both type of shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, if you shoot like above your more of a jump shot, you you can uh, a guy can be in your face and you can just shoot. Okay. Mm-hmm. But then the guys who shoot more of that push shot, you know, they can extend their range way back. So I, I appreciate all type of shooting. I think uh, Damian Lillard, we saw it up close when he was giving a 50 in the playoffs a couple <laughs> yeah. years ago. Book Book has an amazing shot. He was killing us this year for a couple of games. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's a few guys who I think are great shooters. I love that because even though you're in the league, like you're still admiring different shots and picking like some things up. And you said you work out with Steph a lot in the yeah, off season. Yeah. What have you kind of picked up from him doing that? Yeah, so um, I'm close with him and his trainer. Mm-hmm. So when we work out together, really Steph's best attribute is his conditioning. Like his workouts are, some guys may do a star drill where they run from the top of the key to the corner, to the other wing, to the other wing, to the other corner. He's doing that same drill, but full court. So from the top of the key here to the opposite corner. And then like, so his conditioning is like his best attribute. So that's what I pick up from him and his attention to detail. I think that's something all the great players have, their routine. Um, So he definitely has that for sure. Like you don't just become that good at shooting just by a gift. You know, some of it is a gift. But you got to work to become one of those shooters. Yeah, I was actually talking to uh, Nico, who played uh, for Golden State for a little bit. He's now in summer league this year with the Bucks, I believe. And he said, being around Steph showed me that like none of this stuff happens by accident. Like, people try to diminish Steph by saying he has a talent, he's just a great shooter. But you have to do so many other things to become what Steph Curry actually is. Yeah, and I, I, I would take it a step further to be like, me, all the great players have that, but really to survive in the league and to be a impact player for multiple years, you, you have to have a level of discipline and consistency because I think I heard this on Paul George's podcast with Draymond, but like all the little stuff that goes into being an NBA player, that's what's the hard part about being an NBA player, the routine, the sleep, the nutrition. But then to be a great NBA player, you take all that, 10 times further and your whole life is dedicated to being great. You know, like mm-hmm. look at LeBron, like his, the way he takes care of his body, his recovery. Like that's the, that's the hard part. And to be great, there's a lot of players who probably have the talent or genetics to be great, but they just, it's, it's hard. Like mm-hmm. you really have to dedicate your whole life to it. Really. Yeah. And there's also so many players where the talent is so incredibly apparent that they're almost relying on just that. And if they hit that other level, it'd be over for everybody. Yeah. But I think when you get to the league, sometimes people say, okay, the accomplishment is making it to the NBA. And some people say, okay, made it to the NBA. How do I become one of the greater players? Yeah. And that kind of, I think, separates those two groups. It definitely does. Yeah. Like the way you, what did you want out of the NBA? Did you grow up really wanting, you know, the money that came with it so you could take care of everybody and that was your main goal? Or, like, did you want to get the cars and the jewelry? Or did you really want to be, like, one of the best players? And you wouldn't be content until you were. So I think that's what separates. It was like, what what was your goals? What was the reason you really yeah. wanted to be an NBA player in the first place? What did you want out of the NBA? Yeah, like, I never really cared too much about, like, uh, 
the money and the, and the, and the things like that. Like it's, it's amazing. It's a blessing. You know what I mean? To be able to make sure my family's good, uh, my friends. But like for me, I was so driven at a young age to just try to become the best. Like that was, that was always my goal. And obviously been through some injuries, some hard things, but like, that's still my goal. It's like, I don't, I don't, I'm not too much for, uh, all the stuff that comes with it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say any of that stuff makes me more happier than I was without it. So yeah. my, my, uh, my goal is just to keep getting better until I can't get better anymore. Yeah. Okay. Well, going back to the beginning of becoming an NBA player of the top 15 picks in the 2018 <sighs> draft, you're the only one so far that has a ring. Are oh, you surprised yeah. to hear that? Wait, that is true, huh? <laughs> it is. You're like, I got to look up how to fix. <laughs> you are. So see, like that, like that's 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 where you look back on, like, okay, I could have maybe if I didn't get hurt, maybe I would have gone number one or number two. But would I have ever won a ring in those situations? So it's like I look back at like God does stuff like that where it doesn't work out the way you thought it was, but then you can look back and see the good stuff that came out of it. Mm-hmm. So I won a championship, got drafted to Denver. Uh, I love the city. Like that's that's something I can look back on and be like, okay, even though I went through these injuries, all this wouldn't have come about if I if I didn't go through that. Yeah, I mean? because if say I was talking to you draft night from the future, came to talk to you, and I said that you would be the first of those guys to win, would you be surprised by that? No, no. I definitely wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Nah, not at all. You'd be like, no, I think I'll win it. <laughs> yeah, regardless if I would have yeah. went to a bad team at the time or yeah. or a good team, I still probably would have would have thought I I could be one of the first ones to win one. Well, you know, on Bill Simmons' podcast, Doc Rivers was saying that the Clippers should have taken you. They ended up taking Jerome Robinson, I believe, but he was saying that they should have taken you. On that night, who did you feel like you were going to go to? Did you have any idea? Yeah, people actually asked me about that a lot. They asked me if I'm like bitter or hold a grudge towards the Clippers. I knew I wasn't going to the Clippers because it was their doctor who actually wrote the report that I may never play again. He was the main one who evaluated me uh, pre-draft and was like, yeah, his injuries, he may never play basketball again. So he sent that whole memo out to the league. So I think the Clippers had back-to-back picks or 11 and 13 or something like that. I knew they were taking me, but mm. like it wasn't really a goal of mine to prove them wrong. Because um, at that time, I was just like, man, I hope someone gives me a chance. And then hopefully like I can work through these injuries and be a be a good player again but that was really just a overall like scary time um but yeah I definitely knew it wasn't the Clippers my uh my agent so the Nuggets were actually like not even on my radar at all and my agent had me talk to them the day of the draft to try to make it so I wouldn't go past 14 like that would be my my uh floor so mm-hmm. I talked to Tim Conley on the phone and I ended up in Denver that was the first day I talked to him that was like the last place I would have thought I would have gone, though. Really? And yeah. it all worked out. So the Clippers doctor says you probably will never play in the NBA. And here you are, a champion. Yeah. Have you ever gotten a chance to talk to the people that, that doubted you or the Clippers doctor? <sighs> I forget the dude's name. Uh, but I don't blame him because at that time, I didn't know. Like People didn't know how much pain I was in. I never experienced pain like that. Now I've had three of these kind of surgeries and three of these rehabs. So I kind of know how to take care of it. Um, but at that time, I had no clue. You know what I mean? I was trying to put on a hard face, but it, like deep down, like I had no idea if I was going to uh, be able to work through that. So I, I haven't really been able to like talk to anyone, and I don't really want to because 
like I'm not worried about them. It's not about proving them wrong. It's just about working as hard as I can and leaving the rest up to God. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that was an incredibly scary time for you because there's probably this little voice in your head that's like, is he or she right? Yeah. Like, am I going to play in the NBA? Yeah. So, like, the first surgery I had was in college. And I think I rushed back too quick because I tried to get back for the NCAA tournament. And I ended up hurting it again. So that second time I was like, that's when it was really like, am I going to be cool after this? Mm -hmm. So I got to Denver, had another surgery. And yeah, I was like, I'm still, I still feel like I'm working my way through it all, like adjusting through it, getting better through it. Cause I'm having to adjust the way I play things like that. Um, but yeah, there definitely was times where I was like, am I going to be okay? Like, am I yeah. going to be able to work through this? When did it become easy for you to talk about that time in your life? Like the surgeries, the injuries? Yeah, I think uh, even through it, like I've always been super open and honest. And I have a big family. Like I got seven brothers and sisters, two parents, uh, you know, they're still together. So I have a lot of people that I could talk to and be open and honest with. So it was mm -hmm. that whole time uh, I had people I could rely on and kind of lean on. Mm -hmm. um, so it was never like I, I got in a super dark place and I felt isolated because I had my family. Yeah. I read this story that you would often ask yourself, <clears throat> why? Like, why is this happening to me? Yeah. Why? What answers did you come up with? Yeah, I think it's, like I said earlier, it's perspective. And it's like looking back later in life and looking back at things you thought were bad for you or you asked why they would happen. And then like later you'll see an answer like down the road, like why that happened to you. So, you know, I've been able to see that. Like I said, like with the championship with Denver, um, that's cool to look back on those injuries and be like, this this was part of my story. This came to be. And then like, you know, stories that come out of articles written about my whole situation and that inspired people that I never would have been able to inspire if I had never gone through injuries. You know, some people hit me up on Instagram, like, yo, bro, like I'm having a surgery tomorrow. Like, what did you do? To, to get back playing at a high level, I'm able to help those people. Like, So I like looking back and, and seeing things that came to be that probably wouldn't have happened if, if I didn't go through that. Absolutely. You know, through those surgeries, I don't ever remember reading anything where you were saying you were thinking about quitting or you were close to quitting. Were you ever close to giving up? No, nah, not quitting just because when it comes to like basketball, and what we were saying about being great, like some guys have other hobbies that they like to do and that could take away from from them becoming as good as they could be. For me, like basketball was like my thing. You know what I mean? Like I never had a plan B. I never had anything I really liked to do on the side. I never had any instruments I like to play, anything like that. So even when I was going through all this, I was like, I don't have a choice but to figure out a way to work through this, work around it. And so that was my whole mindset after every single surgery. And on your podcast, Curious Mike, you were talking about those moments and figuring out what your identity was. How difficult was that, learning identity? Yeah, I think athletes probably uh, struggle the worst with identity just because we receive, from a young age, we receive like love and adoration from people, you know, clapping and, and that's how we, we receive love. So when you stop receiving that or for the first time in your life, you you see national news or things like that talking bad about you, you know, you got to think like most of the guys in the NBA, they were always that dude growing up. So they never really had times where people were just talking crazy about them. Now you're in the NBA, you have bad games, you have a way more people watching. 
And so your identity can kind of like when things aren't going good, you have you need to figure out what you can lean on. So through all my surgeries, like three different times, I had tons of people just, you know, giving up on me, doubting me. You know, when I committed to Missouri, like the whole attendance sold out, season tickets sold out. And the first game I got injured and I couldn't play all season. So I heard everything, you know, from he just doesn't want to play because he, he wants to get drafted and not play college or you know, all, I heard like tons of stuff, but for me, that actually helped me figure out my identity, which I feel like a lot of athletes in general really struggle with yeah. like a true identity that doesn't kind of like shift when things are going good or bad. What you just said is really interesting and true about how you have learned to receive love. Because as an athlete, that love has been praise. It has been you had a great game or you're such a great player. Like that's what love has been for you. So how does that manifest in your life, like in your personal life about what you view love to be? Yeah, so I just try to disassociate love with like applause. A lot of people, you know, live for the approval of others and, you know, they get their sense of worth from the approval of others. So I've been able to disassociate from that just because of what I've been through. But some people never can can get away from that because they've never had experiences like I've had to kind of like, you have to, you have to go away from that way of thinking. Uh, yeah, so now I just try to find love and, and things that don't shake or don't change from one game to another. You know, that's my family, my faith, you know, people that if I had a career ending injury tomorrow, like they would still be just as close to me. And so things like that, uh, I think, is where I find it now. Mm. There's a quote by this poet, his name's Rudy Francisco, and he says, I've learned to love the parts of myself that nobody claps for, like applause. So what are some things that you love about yourself that are not, you know, the glitzy, (laughs) glamorous things, but are great about Michael Porter Uh, Jr.? I don't know. I don't know too many. uh, I don't know too many things I would say. Like, I'm working to be the best person I could be. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, just being authentic and being open and actually like speaking on things that that um come to my mind like a lot of people are kind of like scared of speaking their mind as to how they'll mm-hmm. be received i feel like a gift of mine is i never really cared too much about that so i would say that's one thing um but yeah that's a good thing yeah in that same story i was reading though you still watch some of your like high school highlights is that yeah. true yeah, I watch them, yeah. but I, I hate watching them because I get, like, depressed because, like, the freedom of movement before injuries and things like that kind of kind of aren't the same at this point in my career. You know, I'm still, like, I've been rehabbing while I've been playing at the simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not at 100%. Um, I haven't been for a while, but I'm trying to get there. So when I watch those whole, old uh, high school stuff, it's, it's cool and it's, it kind of makes me sad at the same time, but... It's good looking back. I just can't watch them too long. Yeah. yeah. So when you talk about like freedom of movement, you're saying it kind of just reminds you now of like, oh, I used to be moving like that. Yeah. Like, when am I going to get like just, yeah. I always think like, okay, if I didn't get injured, like how good would I be right now? Like watching those old tapes. So just the way I could jump off, off either foot, things like that. So um, I've gotten better in certain areas of the game, but definitely – some things would have been affected by the injuries. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 
you are kind of the perfect person to talk about a lot of different things because, you know, you were the number one recruit in the country. You were constantly praised. Everything was about Michael Porter Jr. How should we talk about younger players? As someone who's gone through it and when you see the expectations that we put on young guys, how should we talk about them? Yeah, well, I don't think it's really going to change just because there's more and more media. There's more and more people that, you know, kids are being ranked at a younger and younger age. But, like, those are the developmental years for kids. So if they're receiving their love or they're feeling love at that age from people just, you know, clapping at their games or, tell, you know, that that's, that's going to stick with them and affect them later down the line when things aren't going their way. That's when you run into, like, the identity problem. So, I mean, I just feel like it's hard because of social media now. But, like, at the end of the day, like, basketball is a game. Obviously, it's a job, but it's a game. And these, like, kids that people talk about, as much as people think that these kids don't see it, like, they're seeing all the crazy stuff people are saying about it. So, like, you got to be humane at the same time. Yeah. And being mindful of the fact that, like, they are kids. Yeah. And I think people forget that because they're on your screen and they're playing a game. But some of the things that we're saying about 16, 17, 18-year-olds can be very bad. And things that at that age you would never want somebody to say to you. And they affect you, yeah, all the way up into the NBA. But, at the, at the, but when you get to the NBA, though, like, you can't really... That's your job at that point. You're getting paid a lot of money. So you can't complain about people talking bad about you or whatever because that's part of it. So you can't, like, the pros outweigh the cons at that point. You yeah, got to, sure. you can't trip <laughs> too much. But yeah, as kids, yeah, as kids that, that aren't getting paid for what they're doing, like, people need to be mindful of, of how that stuff is, is messing them up for sure. So, based on experiences that you know you have been through, what words would you give to somebody like Victor, who was just starting, about managing expectations of others and separating that from yourself? Yeah, like yesterday, like I, I felt for him because people want to talk about his his performance on that game. But he's going to have so many amazing games. But just the like, I think he already does a good job. Like I've seen his interviews. I don't think he's one of those guys who's going to get way too high, way too low. Mm -hmm. But that's the danger of of if you can't f figure out how to find that mental strength to not get too high or too low because people are all, you know, this, that, and they had one bad game and now people are talking a certain way about him. Um, yeah, but it's hard. Like, all these people following him around, like, all this media, all this, and then you, it's just a lot for a kid that over there was just able to play a free game of basketball. Now right. you come to the NBA and it's all about this other stuff is involved. That's why I think, some people, the love for the game gets lost in the NBA, mm -hmm. but it's part of it. It's your job at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes I feel like the point of summer league is like overreactions yeah. <laughs> because people play the games and it's like, oh, they're, they're a bust. They did this, they're bad, or they're the best. Like, it's just so much. But really, summer league has to be what it is, which is just development. Development. And yeah. And ready for the season, which that dude yeah. is going to be a... A monster, you know what I mean. So that's that's what Summer League is about, for sure. Uh, a couple, of few, a few more for you. Um, only three teams have finished undefeated at the Peach Jam and won a championship. You and Trey Young's team was one of those in 2016, I believe. Uh, what do you remember most about that? Yeah, we were just like dominant out there. Like, yeah, yeah. My team, me, Trey, uh, my brother Jante, we had a few other guys. 
Like we were smacking everybody, like really good teams. <laughs> I honestly think we we probably could go down as like the best AAU team ever because we were smacking teams at Peace Jam by like 30. Like, get them out of here. Get them out of here. Like, yeah, we were like really, really good. So, yeah. but Mocan, that program uh, out of Kansas City, like that's one of the only EYBL teams that practices. So me and Trey got really close um, playing with them. We would go down to Kansas City for the weekend. We would stay at our coach's house. But we would have like two or three days. Like Mocan, those practices and all that is harder than college and the NBA combined. Like, what? Yeah, no Mo- way. I promise you. Mocan is like, they try to prepare you for like what you're going to face in college, but it's like way harder. Like, yeah. Mocan was hard. Okay, like how? Give me examples of how it's harder than It's like we NBA. were doing like three-a-day practices, watching film. This and then every other AU team, you know, they just show up and hoop. We're doing all this extra stuff, but it paid off. We won the Peace Jam, but we were like the coaches over there and Matt Suther, who runs it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rodney Perry was our coach. They 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 take it serious, like, yeah, very serious. So you're like, we were the greatest of all time. That was I, yeah. I would yeah. like to hear somebody say a team that was better. Outside of your team, what's like the most impressive Peace Jam performance you saw? Huh. I think uh, Aaron Gordon had a really good yeah. team with the Oakland Soldiers. I think they played like a Andrew Wiggins team. I'm trying to think. There were so many good performances. Malik Monk was amazing in, in the EYBL. Yeah, but the EYBL is dope. Like, it's cool seeing all those dudes mm-hmm. from back then, like, all in the league. It feels like everyone, all my childhood uh, friends that were Hoopers, like, they're. it seems like they're all in the league. I love that. I mean, PGM, it really is, like— that's the future. Yeah. Like the people like, you're literally. watching there, you're going to be watching them literally. for a really long time. Yeah. I love that. So you were on that team with Trey. I am a big Hawks fan. I'm a Trey Young fan. I feel like, though, Trey is a bit misunderstood by people. What do you think people should know about Trey? I know you all are incredibly close. Yeah, I think he's he's another one of those guys who's just going to be himself unapologetically. But, like, he doesn't want to play, like, a villain role. Like, he's one of the nicest dudes most genuine dudes, like the whole playoffs, text me after every game, keep letting it fly, you know, uh, or just text me tons of stuff. But he's, Trey is a great dude, you know what I mean? Uh, comes from a good family. He's one of my best friends in the league. I don't really know why he got misunderstood, but that dude, he, he's a good dude, and he's also underrated at this point. Like, people don't realize how good Trey was is. Like, he led the league in points and assists, and then he wasn't an all-star. Like, I don't, I don't see how that... Yeah. Happens. Oh, trust me. I am always on the Trey Young campaign. I'm like, let's go. Yeah, it's weird. Go. It's weird. But I'm, I'm from the suburbs of Atlanta. So. Yeah, when they talk about like point guards, though, like I, I'm putting Trey up there with with, uh, with pretty much anyone because he can pass, shoot. Um, he, he has a crazy IQ. I think he's one of the best passers in the league, uh, can shoot from deep. And I've played with him, so I know how good he is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I love that. Um Something I definitely wanted to talk with you about before we go is in the article with you, that you did with The Ringer, you talk yeah. about letting go of ego, which I think is really important. What role do you see ego play in the league and what role has it played in your life? Yeah, I think it plays a big role in the league just because, first of all, at this point, like money's evolved and guys are making different amounts of money. So that's hard. That That's different than we were just playing high school basketball, college and just a team. You know what I mean? Um but I feel like the teams that end up going far, it, it is uh, letting go of ego. But ego is a weird thing because you can, like, 
you can detach from it one day and then you can slip back into it the next day on accident. You got to like constantly remind yourself uh, to kind of get away from that part of yourself. But that's one thing about our team. Like we got a really selfless team Mm -hmm. from top to bottom. So I, I love I love the team that I'm on. When guys come to our team from other teams, they're like, it's not like this. Uh, over there so yeah um, yeah I definitely appreciate that about our team for sure but it it definitely plays a role in the league I think Mm -hmm. because like I said dudes growing up they always were that dude so they developed a big ego Mm -hmm. that also can make you great but it can be a downfall because you might want more shots you might not want to do this role because you were the best player in high school so now you don't want to fit this role and that could be the detriment of your career because you couldn't figure out how to play a role. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's definitely a thing that's... All right. Amazing. Well, I want to end by saying happy late birthday. Thank you. I know I you just turned 25. Yeah, uh, old man. Something... <laughs> You're an old man. Oh, my gosh. I'm a grandma then. I feel crazy. Uh, <laughs> um, one thing my friends and I will try to do when it's our birthday is we do our pit and our peak of the year. I feel like I probably know your peak, but I'm going to ask you your pit and peak, but end on your peak. So tell me your pit first. My pit, I can't really talk about my pit because it's very personal to my family. Mm-hmm. But definitely there were some rough times for my family, for, for me, uh, even into the playoffs. Well, congratulations. Yeah. And you were fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, and you. I'm happy we got to do this. Appreciate you so much. <laughs> of course.